So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim Blake. I'm the assistant pastor here at uh, St. James, and I have the privilege of, of talking today about trust. So uh, in our series of messages about expecting more from Christmas, expecting more from the season, we've been starting out with a lot of passages in Isaiah. And I don't want to be one to break the trend, so we'll start today in Isaiah. You know, far be it from me to say, no, no, we'll do something else. No, we'll stay right here. Um, I want you to take a good look at this picture here, because this is going to be really key for us today. It's a lump of coal. Remember when, when, when we were little? Um, actually, my kids don't know this, because we had kind of stopped saying this back then. But when I was little, if you don't behave, what does Santa leave you? A lump of coal, right. And so gift wrap behind us is a lump of coal today. And it's going to be pretty clear as to why that is. So we're going to read today out of the book of Isaiah and out of Matthew and out of Luke. And I'm sorry, yes, we are reading those passages that you just read and that you mentioned. So you're going to get a double dose of Matthew and Luke uh, this week. So, yeah, sorry, that's just the way it is. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Isaiah before I read the passage. We're going to be in Isaiah 9 this morning, but... um, you know, we always hear Isaiah. When we talk about the Advent story, you get all the prophecies out of Isaiah. You know, come to us, a child is given, and, and, you know, the virgin will conceive, and all these great passages. But what you don't really kind of think about is the context behind Isaiah. Now, you, just as you get used to me over the coming months and years, I'm always just going to give you a little bit of background, a little bit of theology behind these things. That's just, that's just who I am. It's my nature. So Isaiah, let's talk a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah is a book commonly believed to have been written not by one prophet, but by several. Okay, so you start with the early passages of Isaiah, which is about the time of, of, of Ahaz and then Hezekiah. But then there are passages that are written well into and towards the end of the Babylonian captivity, which is, you know, a couple hundred years afterwards, right? So it's commonly believed that Isaiah is written by several authors over the course of about 200 years. Um, starting in the 700s BCE, right? So this passage that we're going to read this morning is about like around 730 BC, okay? So uh, Isaiah is where we get the majority of our messianic prophecies, both the birth and the death. Uh, So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and I'm reading out of the NRSV. Sorry, Mark, I forgot to tell you which version I was in today. So, my bad. Um, And it says this, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Oh, this is really good, isn't it? Don't you just love this? This is, like, very encouraging. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless, get this, peace. For the throne of David and his kingdom, he will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's a familiar passage. We look at this prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah. There's a couple of things I want you to notice about what we just read, though, okay? Notice the attributes that are given. Wonderful counselor. Okay, yeah, that's Jesus, right? Mighty God. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's part of our creed. Everlasting Father, well, that's very Trinitarian, so great. 
Prince of Peace. Well, we know Jesus is really about peace. And, you know, love your enemies. Everything's great. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be an endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. And then you stop. Wait, the throne of David and his kingdom. So with this passage, this is the first building of of what we would consider to be expectation about what the Messiah is coming to do. And as we get into the Gospels, you'll see this really gets bent out of shape. And one of the reasons why the Jews reject him is because expectation and reality don't really match very well. There is an expectation here that the Messiah is coming and will set things right. There's an expectation that all warfare, suffering, and subjugation of Israel will finally and forevermore come to an end. That's an expectation. Look at what it says here. His authority shall grow evermore, and there shall be endless, what? Peace for the throne of David and his endless kingdom. There's an expectation that God will restore David's kingdom, and Israel will be able to worship God in peace once again. And so this is what the Jews, as they're leading, getting ready to begin this precipitous decline, which leads into the captivity and coming out of, this is what the expectations are being held on to. Through the years of violence, with the restoration of the temple, the constant struggles with the Greeks, if you go back and read your history in the, between about 400 and the birth of Christ, you've got problems with the Greeks. You have Antiochus Epiphanes who desecrates the temple, leads to the Maccabean revolt, the creation of the religious orders, the Jews, the uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees. And finally, their incorporation into, you guessed it, the Roman Empire. These and other promises were held onto with hope because, well, we haven't reached this yet, have we? There's no endless peace. All we've had is fighting. All we've had is revolt. And now what have we got? We've got the Romans. And here we are. So now you can see this expectation that's been building. And that takes us to Luke chapter 1. So let's go to Luke chapter 1. Love Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, 26. There's going to be a little bit of reading here, so bear with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, and he, this is Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He, here we go again. Ready for this? Okay. Expectation, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him, here you go, the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Oh, man, that's so good, isn't it? So good. It does sound good. But let me give you, let's, let's, let's notice what's said here. These are the promises given to Mary. He will be great. Okay. He will be called son of the most high. Perfect. Love it. 
God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Ooh, we'll pump the brakes there a little bit. Because now what is my expectation? The throne of David. The restoration of the kingdom of Israel. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So now we've got even better expectations, don't we? Okay, we're putting a lot on this expectation of Jesus. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 2, which we will read, as I said, we will read on Christmas Eve. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you This is one of the reasons I love this passage. I am bringing you good news. Don't you know, this is kind of a side, but but, but God is always for you. You understand that, right? It's always good news. Good news of great joy for all the people. For to you is born in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a child wrapped in the bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, with the angel there was a, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing which has taken place. And the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. So they were telling everyone, right? And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. He's here. Glory to God. To you this day, this day. Notice that word there. This day is born a Savior, the Messiah. Finally, the wait is over. Finally, what's coming? The throne of David will be restored. Finally, we're here. Let's go to one more passage. You know I like lots of passages. Matthew. Funny. Chapter 1. What we just read. What James just read. We actually didn't plan this beforehand. But here we are nonetheless. Matthew chapter 1. Chapter 2. Sorry, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. In that time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, here it is, listen to this. Where is the child who has been born, who? King of the Jews. For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. Why? Because it's a threat, right? And all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes and the people, and he inquired from them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least of these rulers. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. And then he tells him, go find him so I might also worship him, so on. It's happened. He's a ruler, a king, a shepherd of the people Israel. Our time has come. And then, what? You've read your Gospels. What? Nothing. 30 years of nothing. We have one experience that's mentioned to us of 
when they went to Jerusalem to, to go to the synagogue, and, and Jesus is like 12, and he's talking with the, the religious leaders, and they're discussing this. And then we go back to silence. But in terms of all of Israel, what have we got? Nothing. You have proclaimed us a savior, a ruler, a king has come. And where is nothing? It's silence. 30 years go by, nothing. And then Jesus begins his ministry. And now we go to John. Oh, good old John. Love John. John chapter 1, verse 29. We just finished a little discourse about John the Baptist. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus is baptized. And then you go to verse 35. Listen to this. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. So now we've begun the ministry. And I wish I could say, man, this is where it all ends. But it's not. Because I got one final passage for you today. Matthew 11, verse 2. Now, give me, go back now. What did John just say? Behold, who? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. I'm not even worthy to un un undo his sandals. He's great. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But then now we hear where Jesus has begun his ministry. And this is just a short time later, like a matter of months. Now, when Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and proclaim the message in the cities. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, you ready for this? Are you the one is to come or do we wait for another? Because you're not doing it right. We've been waiting for so long. I'm reminded of, my, Devin and I, we, we talk all the time. There's a passage, there's a, 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 a little blurb that you see. Did anybody ever see Mr. Mom? You know, I, I lived years as Mr. Mom, right? And so as, as, as he's trying to get into this routine of taking the kids to school, and he doesn't do it like their mom did, and he parks in the wrong way. He goes the wrong direction. And they say to him constantly, stop. Hey, you're doing it wrong. And the kids would say, Dad, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, well, there's another. You're doing it wrong. And so everybody keeps looking at him. No, 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 no. We've been raiding in Isaiah. This is what's supposed to happen. We've been looking at these prophecies. This is what's supposed to happen. And then John says, behold, the Lamb of God. And then finally he's saying, are, are you actually the one? Are you, or, or do we look for another one? It's kind of almost like it's a nudging. Look, if you're going to do this, you've got to do this right. Or we're just going to look for another one. Advent, this time that we live in, this time that we experience, is a time of expectation and a movement towards a joyous event. We start it right after Thanksgiving. Advent begins the Christian calendar every year. Because the Christian calendar resets with Advent and then takes us all the way through Lent, the Passion, Pentecost, and so on. But it always starts, again, at Advent. This is the beginning. 
but, but, but notice our Christmas season that we have. It kind of mimics this. Because our, 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 our Christmas season, it matches our hurried culture, doesn't it? Right? You've got maybe three, hopefully four weeks to buy as many gifts as you can for as many people as you care about. Hurry up. The sales won't last. And but because of our culture and, and this need to see things done correctly, what do we have? Well, if you're a Prime member, what do you get? Two-day shipping, yes. Oh, yeah, two-day shipping. And if you spend enough, you can actually get one-day shipping. Oh, isn't that nice? Same day if you live in the, in the metropolitan area. I've ordered in the morning and gotten it that evening. I have expectations. <laughs> I do. What do you mean three days? Are you kidding me? What will I do? Think about this. We don't correspond on letters with it anymore. I send you a text. I send you a text. And when I send you a text, I know how text messaging works. It appears on your phone right then. So I have an expectation that you're going to get right back to me because I texted you and because you just saw that message. It's not like I can go up to Marge and say, hey, Marge, how you doing? And then 10 minutes later, she finally looks up and says, fine, thanks, you. No. No, I expect you to answer me right now. We have this, this kind of gratification, instant gratification feeling within our society today. Get your presence. I've been seeing, uh, the news channels lately have been saying, You've, here's your cutoff if you want it shipped by. You know, by Saturday, make sure you get your orders in by Saturday for two days. By Sunday for overnight, otherwise you may not get it, so hurry up. And that's what this whole season feels like. But I think we're going to miss a, a, we consistently miss a fundamental truth about Advent. It's a time of waiting. From the promises of the Messiah to Jesus' birth is a period of 700 years. 700 years go by before we get to the birth. Think about that. I get upset about two-day shipping not coming through. They waited for 700 years. And the truth of the story, from the expectations to the reality of events, is that there was a frustrated feeling of disappointment. You're doing it wrong. This is not how things are supposed to be. From the announcement of the birth to the recognition of Jesus by John the Baptist, there were expectations placed on Jesus about who he was and what he was going to do that did not match who he actually was and what he actually did. We go from behold the Lamb of God to are you actually even the one? Disappointment. If Advent teaches us anything, it should be this. When our hopes and beliefs in what God is doing don't match what is actually happening, all we are left with is a choice. Disappointment and disillusionment or trust. Because when God doesn't do the things that we think God should be doing in our lives, 
you're left with a simple choice. You can be disappointed and disillusioned, or you can trust. Now, these are really fine words. I mean, I love this picture. God, what'd you get me for Christmas? A lump of coal. That's not what I expected, God. And I can say these words and teach you scriptures out of the Bible and teach you lessons on theology, but this is something that I have learned really painfully over the last three years. So I'm going to tell you a little story. And it actually goes a little bit longer than three years. In 1988, I felt the call of God to become a pastor. And through starts and stops through all those years, nothing. And then finally, finally, in 2016, the dream became a reality. My family remembers and Annie remembers because Annie was one of my parishioners. I was a pastor. We planted a church. And we had wonderful times. And it was great. And then my youngest son's asthma got out of control. And his health just deteriorated so poorly. And so I had to leave. I had to let my church go. I moved back to the United States. And before I did that move was getting ready to happen, I asked the Lord. I said, okay, uh, this is a lot of uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm going to need something from you. Give me a word. Give me something to let me know this is going to be okay. And the Lord gave me two words. Trust and believe. Trust and believe. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I can trust you, God. Got it. It's all going to work out fine. Except when it doesn't. Because I was trusting and believing that this was just a little speed bump, right? What I came to find out was that I had stopped seminary. I would lost my church. I was separated from my children for 12 weeks. It was just Malcolm and I back here. And then they did finally come here at the end of that 12 weeks. But it was, Devin and I were separated for 16 months. Couldn't find a church home, was not pastoring, was not teaching, was not preaching, was doing nothing. Questioned my calling, questioned vocation. It's like, I, I don't even think I'm called anymore because nothing's happening. God, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And then things slowly started to change. Because sometimes you've got to go through death and burial before you can head to a resurrection. And so then you begin to understand that trust and believe doesn't just mean, aren't just words you throw around. But trust means, it meant for me, you're going to have to trust me through this. You're just going to have to trust me. Because this is going to be unpleasant. And so the questions in my mind began with, did you really say that? Or, or was there something else? Now you understand John the Baptist, right? Are you the one or do we look for another? Am I really supposed to trust you or, or is that just empty words? Now I'm back in seminary. I'm in the process of becoming United Methodist clergy member. I'm on staff here as the assistant pastor. We're settled. And now I look back and think, wow, you were telling me to trust because this process was going to involve death and burial, but resurrection was going to come. 
Yes, it's going to be painful, but yes, I'm taking you through to lead you to a better place. Our thoughts and plans and ideas of what God should do don't always match with what God is going to do or with what he wants to do. Our beliefs about God, about who God will love, who God will accept, don't always match with who God actually does love and accept. Our little boxes that we place around God, he doesn't always step into that little box for us. Our dreams that God has placed in us and how we reach those dreams don't always match with the path that God actually lays out for us. This is Advent. I think we, we, we love reading the Advent passages, and I love reading the Advent passages too. But there's this underlying theme that, that goes through from Isaiah all the way through the Gospels of, yes, he's coming. Yes, you need to wait. And you're going to have to trust because this may not work out the way that you think it's going to work out. Which is why John the Baptist asks, are you the one? Or do we look for another? So how do you reach a place of more trust? In spite of all of these things, how can you get to more trust? First of all, and I think most important, we need to remember that God cares deeply for us. And he cares deeply for you. And I don't just mean that trivially. Oh, God cares for you. We throw that around all the time, don't we? But no, no, no. He cares for you. And God has a good plan for your life. A good plan. The dreams and the desires that deep down in your heart, God knows those desires. And God has placed those desires and these dreams. These are part of who you are. You think these are a surprise from God? You wanted to do that? I had no idea. Oh, that's not the case at all. God knows. Here's the harder part. Secondly, we need to realize that the path that we're on may look like it's going in the wrong direction, even though it isn't. I was sure I was done in ministry. Because the path I was on was in such a different direction. You know what's funny? I had quit ministry, and so I got a job working for the pastor's wife. <laughs> which is what led me here, which is where I am now. It's the wrong direction, but it was the right direction in the end. It's an it's a amazing story. Finally, and I think this is the most important thing for you for Advent that I want to get across to you today. Not just trust God, but entrust Jesus with your hopes, your dreams, and your fears. Trust is built, hear me now, trust is built on relationship, not blind faith. Trust is built on relationship, not blind faith and loyalty. Be honest about your disappointments in prayer. Don't fear sharing things with God. 
in the relationship with God. We trust God because we have a relationship with him. Yes, we believe in God. Yes, we recite our creeds. Yes, we are loyal. But faith and trust come from deep relationship. Cultivate your relationship with God. When there are fears, when there are failures, when there are things that you don't understand and you can't under, and your doubts and your questions. Did John the Baptist tell anybody else? I'm not sure he's the right one. John the Baptist sent word to Jesus himself. Are you the one? Or do we hope for another? Trust is built within relationship. And when you bring these to God, let me let you in on a little secret. God can take it. There have been many times when I have shaken my fist in prayer. And in those times, I've felt the greatest amount of peace. Because there's this answer, this, finally, you're being real with me. Finally, you're entrusting me with the other part of you, your anger your disappointments. Now we can start talking about things through. Oftentimes, we're just like the people of Israel. We placed expectations on what God's going to do, and when they don't work out, we, our trust falters. But hold on to the fact, and the promise of what the angels say, I bring you what? Good news. You are favored. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all. He has a good plan for you. That's the story of Advent. As we wait, as we work through our expectations, as we work through our disappointments, we learn to trust and say, all right, as Jesus said, not what I want, 